Welcome to the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. And this is where we talk about mental models, frameworks, concepts to help loved ones navigate the complexities in life. Today I'd like to spend a bit of time talking about social anxiety in children. Um, and it benefits adults as well. But specifically, this is going to be for parents and teachers who have kids in their charge who experience social anxiety. Um, It's important first to distinguish between what is pathological and uh, normal anxiety. Anxiety in general is normal, okay, but it becomes pathological when it gets in the way of us achieving our goals or stops us from participating in the things that we would like to. Anxiety is that normal feeling of disquiet or unsettledness. When there's some kind of uh, uncertainty over the likelihood of potential danger in the near or distant future, whether it's real or whether it's imagined. And social anxiety is anxiety about interpersonal interactions with other people. Uh, I emphasize again that it's totally normal to feel anxious. Um, It keeps us safe, it keeps us alert, but clearly it becomes a problem when it overwhelms us, right? And it can manifest in different ways, different intensities, um, and it depends on the temperament of the child where they're at developmentally, because all children from time to time will get socially anxious, and the environment. Sometimes the demands of the environment is just too much. It overwhelms the child's skills, um, and then they get anxious. <clears throat> I'll just pause there to, to say something about um, this idea of a kid being shy. Shy is one of those terms that is a little bit of um, a trigger for for some of us. Uh, it's not entirely clear what people mean when they say shy sometimes. Um, it's a bit of a catch-all. Um, I'll give you an example of uh, from my life. So, okay, so I'm standing in... You know, in the middle of a queue, waiting for my burritos from a food truck at a music festival, local music festival with my kids. They're hungry, they're tired. I need to feed them. Uh, And why is it the only food? Why is there just one food truck here? Anyway, an acquaintance walks past and sees me. I pretend not to see them because I just want to feed my kids. I just want to get on with it and go home. Granted, I could have just gone home, but anyway, I was there in the middle of the queue, and I we were waiting for a long time, and, you know, the fallacy of sunk costs, you know, it's irrational. I, stay, I stayed waiting for my burrito, which was another hour away, but anyway, I should have just left, but anyway, okay, I'm getting a, I'm digressing. Anyway, so this acquaintance says, hey, uh, Devin, nice to see you. Um, great gig uh, just now, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 great gig, great gig. Um, uh, but these are my kids, um, 
so-and-so. And, um, and he says, oh, man, hey, 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 kids, how are you? And then they hide behind me, they hug my legs. You know, they don't say hi to my acquaintance. Automatically, I feel a little bit embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, that gosh, so rude, so rude, say hi. But then I realize, no, actually, they're not shy. Um, they are responding appropriately to a stranger. Okay, you know, this person that they've never met before, an adult, the full-on beard, very tall, okay, could be, you know, it seems intimidating to a child, I'm sure. And so it was entirely appropriate that they hid behind me. They weren't being shy. Okay, it wasn't pathological. They didn't have to participate and engage with this bearded man, who's, who, by the way, is a very nice person. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm trying to illustrate the point that I think we have to distinguish between what is normal anxiety from what is pathological. The kids are allowed to be shy. They have a choice. Okay, leave them alone. It's fine. They're shy. Who cares? In fact, shy kids are some of the smartest kids I know. And they do very well in life long term. But it's when that anxiety of theirs in a situation stops them, impedes them from reaching the goals that they want to achieve, or it stops them from participating or getting involved in something that they're really passionate about, then that becomes pathological. And that's what we want to help them to overcome. So, um, going back to uh, where I was before, uh, the way the uh, anxiety manifests itself depends on temperament, uh, development, sorry, developmental stage and environment. Okay, so the reason why that is relevant is because you, you need to have some understanding of the child, um, you know, thinking about all those three categories, uh, because when you design an intervention, you, you're going to have to make sure that it's, it suits their temperament. It suits where they're at developmentally. And you have to make sure that you, you know, it's right for the environment. So, for example, you know, you're not going to get a three-year-old to, to practice um, asking uh, people in the street for the time, right? That, that's... It's cute, but you know it's it's a little bit. I don't. It doesn't make sense. You know, a kid, this three-year-old doesn't have to ask strangers in the street what time it is, right? But for a teenager with social anxiety about um, you know engaging with people on a practical level, and they might they might want to, I don't know, they might want want a job at the bus depot or something. It, it's it's useful for them to know how to ask for the time. So here are some general principles that I think will help you and your family and your students and 
The first is you want to cultivate a culture uh, in your home or in your classroom where it's not weird to talk about feelings. Okay, so the best way to do this is to actually model that yourself. So adults, you're going to have to get a little bit vulnerable. You're going to have to share your feelings. <gasps> yep, you will. How are kids going to learn how to express themselves appropriately if the adults in their lives don't teach them how to do it? Don't rely on getting some external specialist, some psychologist, some psychiatrist to help your child because they don't know your child as well as you do. Okay. So cultivate a culture where talking about feelings isn't weird. It will feel weird if you don't, if, if you've never done it before. But believe me, with time, it does get easier. The best time to talk about feelings and get intimate is around bedtime. Lots of bedtime chats, lots of table time chats, you know, around dinner. Oh, by the way, have dinner together, have meals together, share meals together. Again, it feels weird if you haven't done it before, but I can't emphasize the benefits enough. These are simple things that you can do. Not easy, I know, especially if it's not part of your usual routine. But make the effort. It will pay off. Believe me. Lots of bedtime chats. Lots of meal chats. Your teenagers, they might hate you for a little while. They'll think you're weird. Okay, think you're an egg. Persist with it. Be consistent. Keep doing it. Okay, try. Try it. Try it. Okay, I'll pause there and say a little bit more about teenagers. Now, okay, so what I'm about to say may be a little bit controversial, but here it is. So, kids and teenagers need their parents. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they need their parents to guide them. I know you know this. You know, in modern times, there's this idea, I don't know where it comes from, that teenagers rebel. It's something of a truism, but I think it's abnormal. Teenagers are not supposed to rebel. Yes, they might push back a little bit as they individuate, but teenage rebellion is unhealthy. Especially the sort of rebellion that separates them from their parents and moves them closer to their peers. 
it's healthier if they do that, but maintain their connection with their parents. It's that loss of connection with peers, sorry, with teenagers and parents that's abnormal. So if you have individuation while maintaining connection, that's good. But if you have individuation and rebellion and disconnection from your parents, that's a cause for concern. You know, I, it's a little bit of a cop-out, cop I think, when people say they're just being teenagers, they're rebelling, okay, they're going to be want, they're going to want to be near their friends more and more and more. And I'm thinking, no, we don't want them to be learning from their mates. Kids and teenagers are still developing their frontal lobes. They're not fully mature. It's like the blind leading the blind. I'm not saying that they can't have friends. Of course they can have friends. It's good. It's healthy. But they need to maintain connection with their parents. Okay. So we have, we have to drive this as parents. We have to be the adults. We have... We have to maintain connection with our kids. It's imperative. I want to encourage people that feel that they've lost connection with their kids, that they can get that back. They have to woo their kids back. I don't, people don't use the word woo anymore, do they? It's a bit of an outdated term. Anyway, I use it. I, I use it. I think it... I like it. Anyway... We have to woo our children because of, you know, there's all these competing interests and competing um, forces for our kids' attention. You know, TikTok, social media, YouTube, you know, all the social media gimmicks. And, um, and you know, and, and we're kind of left in the dust. No. We need to build connection with our kids. We need to maintain that connection. They need to learn how to be decent people from us, not from their mates. It's like the blind leading the blind. Okay, I've, I've had my rant. I apologize. I'm sorry. Uh, all right, where was I? Okay, cultivate a culture we're talking about feelings isn't weird. Second thing, dealing with unrealistic or unhelpful thought patterns. You can go to episode two and six in the podcast to listen to how you bust unhelpful thought patterns and how you address self-limiting thoughts. But essentially, it's a lot of questions that you ask of the child. You know, um, how did you come to that idea? You know, and you externalize the problem. You look at it collaboratively, you know, how can we um, take other vantage points, other perspectives, let's look at this differently, etc., etc. Uh, it will feel weird, like I said before, I keep saying that, it feels weird, because it does. It's not natural. We're not trained to do this stuff. Okay? We didn't have huddle wisdom in the olden days. That's what my kids say. In the olden days, Dad. Did you wear shoes? Yes, I wore shoes. 
Third thing, breathe. Learn how to breathe. Use diaphragmatic breathing. Judiciously, all the time. We breathe too much up here in our chest. We need to breathe more in our bellies, from our souls, from our guts. With kids, I like to teach them alien breathing. So what does that mean? So you get them to imagine, visualize that their skin is porous and they're taking air through their skin in their abdomen, filling up a balloon. Okay, and you get them to feel that stretch in the balloon as they get to the top of the breathing cycle, the breath cycle, and you get them to slowly exhale. But imagine air seeping out of their belly. It sounds a bit strange, okay, it sounds a bit weird. But kids love it. They love that stuff. Fourth thing, a safe protocol. I talk about this. Um, oh, where did I put this? Yes. Okay, on the website, there's a resource called um, uh, Handling Emotional Firestorms. So in there, I talk about the SAVE protocol. In a nutshell, S stands for see and engage the child. So you stop what you're doing. You adopt an attitude of wanting to help your child get through whatever it is that they're dealing with that's difficult. Okay. This immediately switches your mirror neurons on and you're ready to empathize. Okay, you put yourself in their shoes. You feel what they're feeling. You think what they're thinking. You start there. That changes your body language and the tone of voice that you use. Your stance. Get down to their level. See them. Engage them. Acknowledge their feelings. Validate their feelings. Man, Johnny, looks like you're in a tight spot. That looks really hard. By the way, I'm proud of you that you are brave enough to stay there or even go there even though you are feeling really anxious. Let's see how we can help you overcome this. Vote for options. V for vote. Present a few options, okay? These are some solutions I can think of. What do you think, Johnny? Johnny, love your feedback. Let's work this out together. Let's figure it out. E is for empathy. E, I left that in there because that undergirds everything that you do. Unconditional positive regard. Put yourself in their shoes. Put your heart in <laughs> next to their heart. Feel what they're feeling. See things from their perspective. Okay. And then repeat. Repeat over and over and over again, okay? Cultivate the culture of talking about feelings so it's not weird. Deal with unrealistic thoughts by asking really good questions. Breathe, use the SAFE protocol. And the most important thing, you have to model all of these principles in your home. You have to let your kids catch you in the act of doing this stuff yourself. It's like I said before, we don't want the blind leading the blind. We want them to learn from us. Are we good enough? Yes. Yes, we are. We're going to figure this out together. HuddleWisdom.com 
you liked what I've said, what I've talked about here on the show, check out the website. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, go to uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash huddle wisdom. Any support goes a long way, helps me keep this thing going. And I can develop more content, podcast episodes. And I wish you well, travel well, be safe, and I will see you next week. Ta ta!